Amen. Well, we are continuing our series through the Gospel of Mark. We're in chapter 7 today, uh, this series, Servant or Savior. And uh, today we're calling the message, My Tradition is Prettier Than Your Truth. We're going to talk about the difference between tradition and truth and what happens when tradition rises up and we get a little bit prideful and a little get guarded about our tradition. So that's where we're going today. According to Merriam-Webster, tradition is the handing down of information, beliefs, and customs by word of mouth or by example from one generation to another without written instruction. Well, we all have traditions, don't we? I was trying to think about an illustration for that, and I thought, well, how about this one? Here's one. How about Christmas? How many of you, let's have a show of hands, how many of you open the presents on Christmas Eve? Is that your tradition? Oh, there's some there. And how about how many of you are Christmas morning, Christmas day people? Oh, a few more there. That's the winner, it looks like. So there's a tradition that you hold dear in your family and your clan and your extended group of folks. Traditions are important to us, and we love our traditions, and traditions can be great. But sometimes traditions can be dangerous as well, and we're going to talk about that today. On April 20th of 2013, the New York police raided a drug den in Brooklyn, New York. The police found a crew of five men in possession of thousands of pills of oxycodone worth a street value of a half a million dollars nearly. Apparently, the, man, the men had used stolen prescription sheets to obtain all these drugs. They were also accused of peddling heroin and cocaine and possessing illegal firearms. But there was an interesting twist to this story. The men texted their customers routinely, and one of the messages that they sent out every week was that they were closed for the Sabbath. They were closed for the Sabbath. One text read, we are closing Friday at 7.30 p.m. on the dot and will reopen Saturday at 8.15 p.m. So if you need anything, you have 45 minutes to get what you want. That explains why police officers dubbed this year-long investigation into this drug ring only after sundown. Now... I'm not sharing that news story to, to disparage people who observe the Sabbath or who follow other religious traditions and rituals. In fact, we could probably learn something about faithfulness and commitment from those folks. But the story, I think, illustrates our human tendency to observe one preferred part of our faith while pretty openly ignoring other parts. And that can be a dangerous place to be. All of us are influenced by traditions of one sort or another. Even those of us who, by tradition, don't put much stock in tradition. That's my tradition. <laughs> but at what point do traditions lose their value or even become counterproductive to our faith? When do our religious practices become a substitute for really following God? In today's text from Mark's gospel, Jesus has some pretty harsh remarks for the Pharisees and the traditions that they choose to observe. So let's see if we can discover the reason for Jesus's harshness. 
Chapter 7 of Mark, beginning in verse 1. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him, that is to Jesus, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions they observe, such as the washing of, of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And Jesus said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. So Jesus had some harsh words to say. His critics, the Pharisees, believed that traditions were more than just good ideas or cherished beliefs. They believed that their traditions were of equal authority to Scripture. They believed that God gave both the written Torah, that is the first five books of the Old Testament, and what they called the oral Torah, the traditions of the elders. Their oral Torah was divided into six sections, and it contained laws and traditions about agriculture and festivals, women, civil and criminal law, holy things, and ritual purity. And so, during the time of Jesus in the first century, part of being a Pharisee was memorizing these traditions and then passing them along faithfully to next generations. And so, to the Pharisee, these traditions were just as authoritative as God's written law. Now, in our journey so far through Mark, we have seen this growing conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees. They would make an accusation against him, and then he would teach or comment back, often with a parable. The accusation that they bring this week is found in verse 5 of our text when they said, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? That's their accusation. Basically, they're saying, Jesus, your guys aren't following the rules. Why is that? What's going on there? You're the rabbi. What are you going to do about it? And all of this on this particular encounter began over the simple issue of hand washing. Now, when we read about hand washing in the New Testament, I want you to know that it has really nothing whatsoever to do with hygiene really had nothing to do with clean hands. Interestingly, you know, it wasn't until the Civil War time in America that people really began to equate dirty hands with germs. Up until that time, it really wasn't a big deal. But the issue with the Pharisees was a symbolic ritual that demonstrated adherence to their oral traditions. They believed that defilement occurred when an observant Jew, knowingly or unknowingly, came in contact with something 
that they deemed unclean. And so this ritual cleansing began, as most traditions do, with a, a worthy motive to remain undefiled and holy before God. That's a good thing to do. But the ritual over time soon grew increasingly complex. There were even elaborate debates among the various schools of religious, Jewish religious leaders about such things as the position of one's fingers when the water was poured over the hand during this ceremony. And so in today's passage, Jesus and his disciples are attacked, accused for failing to observe this tradition. And in verse 8, we see the problem. Jesus answers this accusation against his disciples by replying, you, Pharisees, set aside the commandments of God in order to observe your own traditions. And then what follows are some examples of the Pharisees' willingness to elevate their traditions, their preferences, over God's word. The reason, folks, that we're looking at this today is so that we recognize, you know what? We all have some sacred traditions, don't we? Things that we hold dear and important. And we're not usually real excited about giving up our favorite traditions, are we? Theologian J.I. Packer put it this way. The question then is not whether we have traditions, but whether our traditions conflict with the only absolute standard on these matters, Holy Scripture. Of course, not everything having to do with tradition is bad. There's a lot of good things in tradition. Tradition gives us identity. It tells us who we are. Traditions highlight our roots, and they tell us where we came from. They give physical action at times to our our mindset, and they demonstrate what we believe. They set boundaries for our lifestyle by helping us to behave in the right way. So in many instances, traditions are good. But we then have to ask this question, then what's wrong with tradition? What's bad about tradition? And so with our remaining time and our message time this morning, I want to explore two clear reasons that we need to be aware of the hidden dangers of tradition as we explore Jesus' response to the Pharisees. So number one, hidden danger number one, traditions can rely on external religion. Traditions can rely on external religion. In verse six of the text today, Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. Jesus engages in some name calling here. This is Mark's first recorded incident of Jesus calling the Pharisees hypocrites. It wouldn't be his last one, but it's his first one. Hypocrite really means an actor playing a part. An actor playing a part. So these holier-than-thou Pharisees thought that they were holy because they obeyed all the rules and avoided external defilement. In other words, they played the part well. They looked good doing the part. But over and over and over again, Jesus taught that <clears throat> a person who obeys the law only externally can still break the law in the heart. And that external defilement 
has little connection with the condition of the inner person. You see, Jesus is interested all about our hearts first and foremost. And so the conflict was not only between God's truth and man's tradition, but also between two completely different views of sin and holiness. This this skirmish was no minor irritation about words, though. It really gets to the heart of religious faith. Traditions, you see, they have a lot of power over us. They have a lot of power, and they come to just, they just seem right to us. We've done it all this time. It's comfortable. It's good. They have a Uh, They can have a a tight grip on our emotions, these traditions that we love. And over time, if we're not careful, they can come to even feel and seem like doctrine, teaching from God. We like traditions, and they work for us because we can keep them. They're easily measurable, and they are sometimes even easier to obey and follow than God's word. They can be kept by our own diligence without ever having a relationship with him. And eventually, if we're not careful, we may come to rely on our external religion, our outward behavior, more than we do the changed heart that God is seeking to bring about in each of us. Author Reggie McNeil puts it this way, What you and I so often fight to defend is really a church culture, not biblical Christianity. This church culture has become confused with biblical Christianity, both inside the church and out. In reality, the church culture in North America often becomes an external expression of religion that is in part a civil religion and in part a club where religious people can hang out with other people whose politics, worldview, and lifestyle matches their own. There's a lot of danger lurking in tradition if we're not careful. Friends, any time that we major more on external acts instead of internal attitudes, we are moving the church closer towards irrelevance in our culture. You see, the people out there that don't know Jesus, all they understand is we're a bunch of rule keepers. And our rules are different than their rules. They don't understand the idea of a changed heart because they don't know Jesus. And worse, when we come to rely solely on those externals, in reality, we have moved away from the true message of Jesus. And so if hidden danger number one is a dangerous over-reliance on what I do, then hidden danger number two is an under-reliance on God and what God's word says. Let's consider this. Hidden danger number two is that tradition can rise above scripture. Let's look at the next little section in Mark here, chapter seven, beginning in verse nine. And Jesus said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your own tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. 
But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. So Jesus takes a very contemporary oral tradition of the Pharisees to illustrate his point. He uses this, this phrase, Corban. And what Corban was, was a verbal pledge of a future offering to God. All right, if you've ever said, I'm going to give this much money to the church, and you wrote it down, maybe you handed in, or maybe it was just for yourself personally, you're making a pledge. You're saying, this is Corban. It is dedicated to God. So there's really nothing wrong with that. Sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? Corban, that verbal pledge. But here's the issue. After such an offering was pledged or made Corban, it, it couldn't be given to others, although conveniently it could be used for self. It was kind of like modern day estate planning. But in reality, it was a rather convenient and sinister way to look spiritual on the outside. Here's what I've dedicated to God. And yet, get out of one of God's clear commandments. And Jesus takes a commandment given to Moses to honor your father and mother. That's number five on the list of the top ten. It's a big one. So he uses that to illustrate his point. I, today I might say something like this. If, if my parents' coffee maker broke and I happened to have two coffee makers, but I had already said they're Corbin, I could say, sorry, Mom and Dad, I don't have a coffee maker to give you. I can't help you because my coffee makers are Corbin. I could do the same thing with my savings account and I'd never be able to help my elderly parents out financially. Sorry, Mom and Dad. They're probably online listening today. <laughs> All my money is Corbin. So do you see the main point here? The main point here is that a tradition had superseded or risen above a clear biblical commandment to honor your father and mother. You know, in my years as a minister, I have seldom heard of people getting upset or leaving a church over genuine doctrinal issues. Even when it's couched as a doctrinal issue, it's usually some sort of a, a cultural bias or a favorite tradition that somebody feels is lost. And I've seen many people leave a church upset because their preferred tradition or their favorite unspoken rule or their particular stance or idea or political leaning was not supported by others. Tradition elevated over truth. Here's an example. The Bible doesn't give us any specific instructions on what time to meet. We're supposed to meet regularly. For, you know, we're supposed to assemble together as God's people, but it doesn't say what time. Now, most churches in North America, here in the United States, they meet somewhere between 10 and 11 on a Sunday morning. It's a tradition. Ever thought about why? Why do we have the tradition of meeting mid-morning on Sunday? Well, you know, it's a schedule that's dictated by our history that's shaped by farmers. 
Now, most of us are not farmers. We live in the city, most of us. But our ancestors had cows to milk and other farm chores to do, and so their church services were traditionally scheduled late enough in the morning that they could get up, get their chores done, load the family into the wagon, and get to church by 10 or 11 in the morning. But I'm not exaggerating when I tell you that I know of churches that have divided, split over the issue of the time of the Sunday morning worship service. Some have even questioned the faith or even the eternal destiny of their brothers or sisters over issues as minor as what time a church service should start or what color the church building should be or what style of music should be used or what favorite mission groups to support or not support or the list could just go on and on. Traditions and preferences and ideas that we love and hold on to and they are elevated, elevated, elevated until they are more important than the commands of God. And none of this would be a problem if we just held our traditions personally and said, I like them. But what happens far too often is that we set ourselves up as an authority of what is spiritual and what is not, and then we begin to demand that everyone else follow our traditions. And what is the first casualty when that happens? It is relationships. It is people. When we value traditions and preferences over relationships, over people, we break the tie of the family of faith. We are to be bound together to one another. We are to give preference to one another. We are to honor one another. We are to speak to one another in love. There are dozens of one another passages in the New Testament that tell us how to behave and act. And when we elevate tradition over those explicit teachings of Scripture, we are guilty of doing this very thing. Friends, we cannot neglect relationships on the basis of our traditions even if they're spiritual traditions that you hold dearly. In verse 7, Jesus, quoting God the Father in the book of Isaiah, says this, In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. The word vain means groundless, invalid, or empty. Brothers and sisters, when we don't want our, when we, we don't want our worship to be empty, do we? Do we want that to be said of us? No. Scripture must always take supremacy over our traditions. In verse 13, Jesus gives a stinging indictment to these traditionalists. Listen to his words. Thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down. And many such things you do. The word void was used to annul a contract. It meant to cancel or revoke something that was binding. So do you see what they're doing? Their tradition was wiping out the word of God. And this wasn't the only time that this happened because Jesus said, and many such things you do. This was a, 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 
ongoing process of taking traditions and preferences and elevating them and judging others. Now, it's easy for us to pile on these legalistic hypocrites, the Pharisees. We don't know them. They lived 2,000 years ago. They become the villains in the story, if you will. But have you ever stopped to just think about what this passage might be saying to us as a church or to each of us as individuals? Are there things here at Garden Way Church that we do or don't do out of tradition that might be more important to us than what Scripture tells us to do? How about you? Is there something that you are holding on to that you've elevated above God's Word? You know, one of the best ways to not slide into spiritual superficiality and ritualistic religion and tradition holding, you know one of the best ways to avoid that? Serve others. Serve others. Do things for others. In James chapter 1 and verse 27, James reminds us religion that is pure and undefiled before God is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Folks, one of the best ways, the best tools that you can have when you're feeling upset that your traditions aren't being held, upheld or that your preferences are slipping away. We think, oh no, what's going to happen? One of the best things that we can do is to begin to focus on others. How can I serve? How can I be a blessing to my brothers and sisters in Christ, to my neighbors, to my friends, to my co-workers? You know, this afternoon, many of you have signed up to help with Project Hope. Many of you have given funds generously to support that that effort. And we're going to give away hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of backpacks and shoes to kids in need. Why are we doing that? Why are we doing that? Well, we're doing it to be you know, a blessing to those kids, for sure. But you know what else it's doing? It's helping to keep us centered. It's helping us to stay focused so that we can be reaching out and not be constrained by our traditions. You know, the Pharisees were worried that Jesus' disciples, their hands weren't clean. Clean hands are are okay. Wash your hands, folks. It's a good thing, right? (laughs) Clean hands are okay. But do you know what God wants more than clean hands? He wants clean hearts. Hearts that are mobilized to serve the least and the lost. And one of the best ways to destroy our own hypocrisy is by helping the hurting. Billy and Bobby were neighbor boys. They were best friends on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, Thursday, Friday and Saturday. But on Sunday, they were enemies. Because Billy was a Catholic and Bobby was a Baptist. There was some bad blood running there. Now, over time, their parents came to understand that they didn't like the fact that these religious differences were were producing such uncongenial relations in these boys. And so they came up with an idea. They agreed to have their sons visit each other's worship services so that a mutual understanding might foster a better relationship. And so on the first Sunday... 
Bobby visited the Catholic church that Billy attended. Just before they sat down, Billy made the sign of the cross, and then they knelt, and then they sat in the pew, and Bobby said, what's that mean? And then all through the Mass, Bobby kept nudging Billy, wanting to know what this ritual meant, what this chant meant, why they had to get on their knees, why they had to stand up and down, and Billy explained everything very nicely. Here's what's happening. And then the next Sunday came, and it was Billy's turn to visit the Baptist church with Bobby. When they walked in the building, there was a a friendly usher that handed them a printed bulletin. A little Catholic boy had never seen anything like this. He said, what's this about? And his, his Baptist friend explained it very carefully. And then there was a time where prayer requests were shared. And, and then out in the pew, sometimes somebody would shout, Amen! Praise the Lord! And Bobby carefully explained to Billy what was happening. Finally, when the preacher stepped up into the pulpit, he carefully opened his Bible. And he conspicuously took off his wristwatch. And he sat it there on the, on the pulpit. And, uh, of course, Billy nudges Bobby and says, what's that mean? Bobby, the little Baptist boy, said, absolutely nothing. (laughs) Absolutely nothing. (laughs) Tradition. Sometimes our traditions have deep, deep meaning. And other times, they're meaningless rituals. Folks, this church like every church, has some wonderful family traditions that we need to hang on to. But we must always recognize the difference between tradition and doctrine and be careful to never draw a line in the sand over a personal preference. The Pharisees had made their traditions so rigid so inaccessible to the average person that they were keeping people away from God. And the same potential exists for us today. We must be on guard that our preferred traditions and church culture never becomes a barrier that would keep people away from coming. Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, it is our prayer.